Uh, but when we look at our family of origin, here's the thing that we need to recognize is that regardless of what your family looked like, whether it was normal or not, everybody has a family of origin. And the fact is, is that family of origin has and does shape us. It just does. And so what I want to do is ask some questions. What do you do when that shaping brings brokenness and pain? When you think about your family of origin, your upbringing, what do you do when it brings pain and brokenness? Or what do you do when you actually start to repeat some of those broken patterns that you saw in the family that came before you? Start seeing those same things in yourself. Hello, my friends, and welcome to yet another episode of the Life Church Canton podcast. We got a new series. It's called Family Matters. Not about Steve Urkel and the 90s sitcom, but about our families. Um, incidentally, we've done two back to back series unintentionally with television show names This Is Us and Family Matters. Um, we're not doing complete TV show names for the remainder of the year. Um, sorry about that. Um, but at any rate, uh, Jared's bringing us a message this week called It's Not Too Late for Your Family. Um, and he's looking at a passage where um, a man has an encounter with Jesus that drastically changes him. Um, and I think often we get lost in the fact that there's maybe generational sin or what we see as like a a family curse of something that we struggle with. Um, but Jesus is able to redeem that. And that's what Jared's going to preach about in this message. And I think it's really powerful. So here he is. Enjoy. Welcome to Life Church. My name is Jared Van Vorst. I'm one of the pastors here. I am delighted that you are here with us, especially if you are new here. You came at a great time. We're starting a brand new series, but also it's a unique weekend for us. We're calling it We Are the Church because uh, we've got our young people who are involved in a lot of different ways, including uh, the ones that were just up on stage helping us lead us in worship. And so it's been exciting to see what God is doing in and through our young people. They are the church, not just of the future, but of today. And so we're excited about what God is doing there. Yeah, we can clap for them too. Mentioned, um, I mentioned we are a, starting a brand new series called Family Matters, and we're going to get to that in just a second, but I want to talk about some specific family matters that uh, pertain to our family, our Life Church family. And so if you're new here, you can just tune in, and some of this might not make sense to you, but that's okay, just tune in. We just came out of a series called This Is Us, uh, where we talked about what, uh, who we have been, who we are, and who we're becoming. And uh, in order to do that, we had these six codes that help define our our culture, who we are, who we're becoming. And at the end of the series, we talked about partnership that took place last week. And so I want to mention just a couple things, give us a couple reminders about what that means. We've had about a week now since then to discuss and hear from some of you and your thoughts. And I just first off want to say thank you. Thank you to those of you who have decided to become partners, and we know that that's a big step for a lot of you, and, uh, and you're, living, you're gonna start to live into those six commitments, and so thank you for making that decision. Also, I want to say thank you to those of you who are prayerfully considering what that might mean for you and your family. Take some time and, and take this seriously, and we, uh, we trust you and we trust God. And then for those of you who are deciding, you know what, I, I, just, I don't think I can become a partner, I just wanna say that's okay. Uh, you belong. You are still part of us, and we are glad you are here and journeying uh, with us in this process. Uh, I do want to make a couple reminders and uh, maybe even some pieces of clarification 
based on some of the conversations that we've had this last week. So first of all, for the next three weekends in the lobby, we're going to have some printed materials as well as some uh, leadership team members. And Pastor Rich, our executive pastor, will be there from time to time to answer any questions that you might have about what partnership means and what commitment you're making. Uh, The other thing is at the end of that three three weeks, so on November 2nd and 3rd, is when you'll have an opportunity to, I guess, officially turn in your partnership card. And, and setting that process into motion. Here's the thing. If you decide to become a partner, uh, this is the question that came up the most. If you decide to become a partner, you have between now and October of 2020, a year, a grace period, if you will, to begin to live into those six commitments uh, that we are calling you to as a partner. Some people have thought uh, that you have to already have been living into those six commitments in order to become a partner. That's not what we're saying. We're saying you have a year to begin to live into that. And for some of you, uh, make those adjustments in some cases in order to become a partner. And, uh, and so just want to make that clarification for you. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to ask. We want to be able to help you in that process. So I wanted to get some of that family business out of the way first. Now I want to talk about family matters. When I say the word family, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? What, what images do you have in your head? What emotions are evoked in you? It could be all over the place. It could be some good, some bad, some everything else in between, right? And here's the thing is your family has an impact on you. It, it kind of shapes who you are, who you're becoming even in some cases. When I think about my family, uh, I have a mom and a dad. I guess we grew up in a relatively normal, whatever that means, a normal family. I have three older sisters. I'm the only boy and the youngest, so maybe that says something about me, I don't know. Uh, but it, that, that was my experience, and there's a million different stories I could tell you about my family and my upbringing and talk about who I became as a person, but there's one image that for some reason just keeps coming to my mind when I was preparing this message, and it's this image, actually. It is a clock radio. Uh, now, how many of you recognize this very clock radio, this version? Look around the room and see how many hands are up. I swear, in the early 90s, they only had two clock radios that they made. Uh, because everywhere I went throughout my childhood, I saw this everywhere, at my friends' houses. I found out my wife, uh, who was my girlfriend for a little while in high school, she had this exact same clock radio. I got this in second grade and had it all the way through college. College roommates and friends of mine had this exact same General Electric clock radio. I don't know, maybe it just ran out of creativity at that time. I, I, I'm not sure. But how many of you had this exact same one too? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so Monopoly on clock radios. I guess that was the thing. Anyway, this clock radio, it's not just a clock radio. It tells a story. It tells a story about me and the influence that my family had on me. So here's the thing. My family gave this to me when I was in second grade, and I listened to music uh, every night as I was falling, uh, falling asleep. And the music that I listened to came from my parents. My, the, parents uh, or the music that my parents listened to, they listened to oldies. Oldies. Now, I recognize it's We Are the Church weekend. There's young people in the room. Uh, when I say oldies, I'm not talking early 2000s, okay? Like, we got we to gotta move it back a little bit further. I'm talking about the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, early 70s even. Uh, and so I listened to, I grew up in this skinny white kid in Northwest Iowa listening to oldies, 98.7 Pipestone, Minnesota. And it was, it was the Supremes. It was the Temptations. It was uh, Stevie Wonder. I mean, it was, oh, all right. Thank you. 
Thank you, yes. Um, th this is the music that my parents listened to, and then I listened to this stuff as well. I loved Motown, and I think it's just unique, actually. Part of the reason why I bring this up in this scenario, in this message, is because now I live near Motown. I, th I just think it's funny how God works things out. But that was the influence that my family had on me, just in the area of music. And maybe your family had an impact on you and the music that you listen to. Maybe for some of you, when I ask what comes to mind when you think of family, maybe you're like, ah, I don't know. I don't know what kind of impact they had on me. Maybe you can't articulate it or verbalize it, but maybe if you look at pictures, that begins to jog your memory a little bit. Maybe that brings up some stories that you can think of. For instance, maybe you had to take awkward family photos like this, <laughs> you know? You're, you're my, okay, I want everybody to stand this way. You're all going to wear these ugly, ugly clothing. Uh, maybe, maybe you had an experience like that. Or maybe it's like this one. You just want to get that perfect image. And the kid's like, I don't even know if these are my parents, right? Or, or maybe it's uh, something like this. Like, honey, it, she's just going through a phase. Let's just take the picture and be done with it, right? One of these things is not like the other. How about this one? This one might take a moment. And then you're like, oh, buddy. Come on, join us here. Maybe this is the early stages of introversion. I don't know. He just, I just need me time, Mom. Uh, or this has got to be my favorite one for sure, the floating head. <laughs> I just don't, I don't know, no words. And I'm a pastor, and I always have words, right? No words for this. Stephen Canfield the other day saw this image, and he's like, I want that for a T-shirt. And you just, you just imagine, if this were on a T-shirt, it, it would go so perfectly with pit stains as well, so right? All right, now you just, you just threw up in your coffee. Okay, so we're going to move on from that. Some of you, you think of images, right? That, that brings up stories and memories of your family. And, and when I ask you, what comes to mind when you think of family? You think of all these moments, maybe some of joy, some that are a little bit more embarrassing, some that are awkward. But when I ask some of you that question, maybe it's not those things. Maybe for some of you, when I say, what comes to mind when you think of family? Maybe there's actually pain associated with that. There's some deep hurts, some brokenness, maybe some experiences that you wished you never had, maybe some things that you just don't want to talk about, and that's hard, and that's real. And family, family matters. It just does. It, it shapes who we are, sometimes good and sometimes not so good. And so throughout this series, we want to talk about that. We want to address that. We don't want to just shy beyond it and give you some easy answers and just say, well, just read this scripture or just pray this prayer. No, it's, it's real stuff. And every one of us in this room is dealing with it at some level or another in terms of how our family shaped us. And so uh, this is a great series for you to even consider inviting a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, because we're going to talk about some real stuff in our families and, and begin to address this. And this affects everybody. It just does. It affects everybody. And so here's what we're going to learn about. We're going to learn about just the simple fact that family does shape us. It, it does. It has an impact on us uh, regardless of the kind of family that we came from. We're also going to learn uh, that no family is perfect, okay? So just, just hear that right from the start. No family is perfect, but there is grace for us. We're also going to define what family is and even redefine what family is, especially in light of Jesus. And then lastly, we're going to see what the future holds for our families, the families that we're creating in some cases as well. But today what I want to do is I want to talk about this idea that family shapes us. Just acknowledge it, uh, that, that family has an impact on us in a variety of different ways. How many of you have heard this term before, family of origin? 
family of origin. It's a term out there. There's all kinds of books and articles written about family of origin. And if you understand more about your family of origin, uh, then you can know a little bit more about who you are and why you do certain things and why you have certain behaviors. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense about why I do that. Family of origin, some good stuff out there, lots of good stuff. Uh, but when we look at our family of origin, here's the thing that we need to recognize is that regardless of what your family looked like, whether it was normal or not, everybody has a family of origin. And the fact is, is that family of origin has and does shape us. It just does. And so what I want to do is ask some questions. What do you do when that shaping brings brokenness and pain? When you think about your family of origin, your upbringing, what do you do when it brings pain and brokenness? Or what do you do when you actually start to repeat some of those broken patterns that you saw in the family that came before you? You start seeing those same things in yourself. Or what do you do, for those of you who are parents, what do you do when you start seeing those broken patterns in your own kids? And those patterns manifest themselves in a variety of different ways. It could come out in just some emotional things, some intense anger or other emotional instabilities. It could come in abandonment or a lack of commitment of some kind. It could be certain addictive behaviors, alcoholism. It could be racism, your views of people that don't look like you, that you have learned from those who have come before you. It could be workaholism, right? could be any number of things. Those negative patterns that sort of continue almost as a cycle in and through your family. And what's hard when those things come out is, is when people actually notice those things in us and they call us out. That gets hard and almost humiliating. Like, what do you do when somebody calls you out, whether it's a friend, a coworker, a boss, like in your performance review or something like that, or a spouse or your own kids? How many of you have ever been called out by your kids? That's humiliating, right? Dad, you work too much. Mom, why do you always care about appearances? And if we have any ounce of humility to receive that, uh, we might, and we might begin to think about that and be like, oh, yeah, they're right. But if not, if there's no humility there, then it becomes problematic. And we start to either deny it, just say, I'm not that way, or even worse, we justify it. I can't tell you how many times I've heard these phrases before, and maybe you've said these or heard these. I know I've said them. That's just the way I am. Get over it. This is, these are just the cards I've been dealt. I can't change who I am. It's not my fault that I'm this way. We say these things. And the reality is, is that that's not the truth. That's not the truth about who you are. Is it impossible to change? Are we not able to change those things? Is it too late to change those negative patterns that have maybe continued in me and maybe eventually to my kids? Because here's the reality is that family shapes us. And it will shape our future families as well. So what do we do with that? I want to look at a story as it relates to this sort of family of origin stuff and the impact that our families can have on us in a variety of different ways. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 9, and we'll start in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, you're brand new to church, no pressure at all. We always have the scripture on the screen, and so you can follow along in that way. John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, 
Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It wasn't because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work, but while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground. He made mud with the saliva. He spread the mud over the blind man's eyes and he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man washed, went and washed and came back seen. Miraculous story. We did a series a while back about miracles. And we could talk about the miracle alone and spend some time on there, but what I want to do as it relates to families, I want to talk about some of the conversation that has happened so far in this story. So first off, we get this really seemingly insensitive question from the disciples. Think about what they're saying. This man is blind. Whose fault is it? Is it his, his sins or his parents' sins that caused him to be blind? It's kind of a jerk question to ask, right, if we're honest with that. But here's the thing, is that's very normal in that culture, to believe that, to, to, to decide that, well, somebody has to receive the blame for somebody else's negative circumstances. That, that's how they believe. Now, that, that's the ancient culture, but I don't know that it's all that much different in our culture as well. We have these sort of weird versions of karma that we believe in. So if something bad happens, we have to somehow assign blame to something or someone else in order to uh, reconcile that. Be like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. But Jesus doesn't seem to be concerned with that. In fact, he, he actually steers the conversation a completely different direction. It's not about that. It's not about this man's sin or his parents' sin. It's completely irrelevant to the situation. In fact, I'm not even concerned about this person's past. I'm in the here and now and the future for this man. I'm in the business of revealing the power of God through healing and restoration. I don't care about the past. We're going to move forward. We're going to move forward. This man's circumstances is not where he's going to stay. We're going to change his story. That's what Jesus seems to be concerned about. And not only that, but there's this sort of weird language. He talks about working, the tasks, the night is coming, and no one can work, but while I'm here in the light of the world. What's he, what's he talking about here? What he's saying to the disciples is he's, is he's saying that there's going to be some darkness that comes very soon when I am taken away from you, when I will be crucified. And so we need to take every opportunity in this moment to establish what life with me is all about. And it's about healing and restoration forgiveness and renewal, moving forward away from our broken circumstances because that's not what defines us. We're moving forward. I want to learn a little bit more about this man, see if we can unpack a little bit more of his story. Let's continue to read verse 8. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar said, he kept on saying, in fact, yes, I am the same one. They asked, well, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. They're all concerned about the skepticism, uh, the, 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 the process of how this happened. They're skeptical of this situation. We'll talk about that in just a second. But first of all, what do we understand about this man? Not only is he blind from birth, but he is also a beggar on the street. Double whammy. 
He's left by himself to survive on his own, and he cannot see. This guy's in an unfortunate situation, but they don't even care about that. They just want to know, well, yeah, but like, how did this work? And they're super skeptical, and they're like, hey, hey, I can see. Who cares about all of that? I can see. Well, the skepticism continues to grow. Look at verse 13. Then they, these neighbors and people knew him, took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Now, who are the Pharisees? The religious leaders of the day. They're sort of the experts. They uh, sort of understand what's going on in life. They understand about religion. And so they naturally take them to the Pharisees to say, well, maybe you guys are smart and you can figure out this whole process. They don't even care about the fact that he can now see and has never seen in his entire life. They just want to know about the process. And they're concerned even further, it says in verse 14, because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. They were concerned about the fact that Jesus was working on the Sabbath. That's really what they're frustrated about. Who cares about this man's healing? But skip ahead to verse uh, 18, because they had argued a little bit, and the Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. Hold up. Did you catch that? His parents are still around. What do we know about him? He's a blind beggar. If you're the parents in this situation, how are you feeling about now? Sorry. If you're the blind beggar, knowing that your parents were around, how are you feeling? <laughs> they bring his parents. There's all kinds of family of origin issues. They have left him alone to survive for himself. My kids get mad if they don't get the right present at Christmas. This guy's situation's a little bit worse off, right? His parents have left him to be a beggar. They, they, they have given up on him. He was blind since birth, and somewhere along the way, now he's a grown man, somewhere along the way, either they couldn't take care of him or they just simply didn't take care of him. This man was broken stuck in his circumstances. His story is going nowhere, and on top of that, his family is physically there, but emotionally and financially and provisionally completely absent. We've got some family of origin issues here. <laughs> but all that changes. All of that changes. Because Jesus shows up, and he encounters Jesus. And now he can see. Now he can see everything. Put a pin in that part of the story because now that the parents have showed up, I want to understand a little bit more about the family of origin and see if we can find some issues here that are going on with the parents. Let's continue to read. The uh, Pharisees, they asked the parents, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he is old enough. Ask him. All right. Now we've got some insight into the parents. Some fear. They're afraid. Afraid of what? Well, think about this. Like, are they afraid of the son who can now see them? 
Can you imagine that moment? They, they're now in the room together and his parents are standing there. They're the ones that are supposed to provide for him. He's been blind from birth. He's been a beggar left alongside of the street and now he can see them. If you're the parents, I would not want to make eye contact with this young man. Super embarrassed. Ah, oh, sorry about that. What do you, I mean, what do you say in that moment? Well, they're not afraid of that. At least that we can see. No, they're afraid of who? The religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. Why? Because they could get expelled from the synagogue. Okay, what does that mean? That doesn't maybe mean a whole lot to you and I, but it means a ton to them. For Jewish people, the synagogue, everything for Jewish life sort of centers around the synagogue and all that takes place within the synagogue. It's not just their version of church. I mean, it's so much bigger than that. It's the entire community. It's how you network. It's how you get uh, your understanding of who God is and, and, and the people of God. You connect with them, and they have the potential to be cut off from that community, and that's what they're afraid of. What might this mean for me and, and my family? What might this mean for my reputation? No, they don't care about the son. They don't care about his healing. They don't care about what happened to lead to his healing. They're just simply afraid for what this means for them. We're unpacking a little bit more about their family of origin I want to read on just a little bit more about what happens. Verse 24, so for the second time, they, the Pharisees, called him in, called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. Yeah, but what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Oh, oh do, do you want to become his disciples too? Yeah, you should laugh because this is a funny moment in Scripture, actually. Uh, sometimes we think about the Bible as like a bunch of rules and regulations and a whole lot of names that I can't pronounce. This is boring. No, there's humor in the scriptures because of what's going on here. See, this man knows nothing about Jesus. They don't, he doesn't know about following him or discipleship, and he doesn't even know about the Pharisees wanting to kill Jesus or find a reason to kill Jesus. And now, for some reason, he's putting the pieces together in his mind, and he's, he's thinking, why are you asking all of these questions? Why are you so, so concerned? about this Jesus figure and you don't even care about my healing. You just want to kill this guy. Oh, wait, do, do you want to become his disciples too? That's kind of funny that that's, what on, that's what's on his, his mind, thinking that these Pharisees would want to be the disciples of Jesus. Well, that's not so funny to them because they curse him and they begin to argue even more with this blind man who can now see and eventually they expel him from the synagogue. They throw him out. Begin to even call him names. You're a total sinner. And they try to take him back to his circumstances that we read about in the beginning of the story. This man was born blind. I cannot imagine the struggle that that would be, especially in the first century. And on top of that, everybody thinks it's connected to his sin <laughs> or his parents' sin. Heck, he might even have thought that about himself. Yeah, I probably deserve to be this way. Maybe I did something. Maybe my parents did something, and so therefore that's why 
I'm blind. On top of that, his parents are seemingly not involved in his life. They're certainly not caring for him. And now they're even afraid to address his healing or the fact that Jesus was the one that healed him. They're simply concerned about their own reputation. This is all kinds of family of origin issues. What kind of an impact is that going to have on a person? Knowing that that's their story. If I were to ask this man the same question that I asked all of you at the beginning of the message, what comes to mind? What stories do you think of? What images, what emotions do you feel when I say the word family? How would he respond? I can imagine there would be all kinds of pain, brokenness, abandonment, fear that would well up within him. He has every reason to feel anger and to feel justified in it. He has every reason to be the kind of person that would say, yeah, these are just my circumstances. This is just who I am and I can't change that. He has every reason to feel this way. His family of origin is a train wreck. Even the disciples thought that was the case. His sin or his parents' sin, they're all connecting that, but all of that changes when he encounters Jesus. It all changes for him because now he can see, and in fact, there's no fear at all, no fear that his parents have in their life because later on, we see him asking the question, hey, do you want to become his disciples too? He's evangelizing the Pharisees. There's no fear because he can now see. Who cares about the how and the why and all of that stuff and all of the circumstantial, the past, all of that stuff? I can see now. That's what matters the future, the here and now, that's what matters. He has no fear at all. But there's a risk involved because what ends up happening is he gets kicked out. What about you? What does this story have to do with you? Well, what kinds of stuff do you have in your family of origin? Where are you at? What kinds of negative patterns do you feel or do you experience or are you even beginning to see in your own kids? What kinds of pain and brokenness do you live with? And can you change? Is it too late to change? Is that just who you are? It's just the way you were made, the cards you've been dealt. When I think about myself, I mentioned I was... Uh, grew up in a home of mom and a dad, three older sisters, but we went to church as, for as long as I could remember. Faith was kind of a big part of my upbringing and, uh, and was relatively easygoing all my life. I never really was emotionally rocked by too much until there was a significant shift a little bit later on. I'd been married for about seven years and we had a 22-month-old son and then we had our twin girls. So three kids under the age of two. I was exhausted. <laughs> That's an understatement. And on top of that, I was working full-time. My wife was working almost full-time as well. We were just, uh, just on shifts, basically, with the kids. Money was super tight. I was working at a church as a pastor. And uh, on top of that, I decided, you know what? This would be a good time to go back to school and finish my undergraduate work. Stupid. Not smart. But what was even more painful is that there was this seed, I have no idea where it came from, this seed of anger and bitterness and hostility that just began to well up within me. I just felt angry. 
tired, stressed out. And the way that I handled that anger was I took it out on my family. I just lashed out on them. I yelled at my wife. I yelled at our kids. Kept it all together at church. Put on a happy face as a pastor. Shook hands. Hey, God bless you. Yeah, good to see you. But at home, I was a jerk. Had all kinds of anger. Fast forward a couple years and begin to see my kids and they're playing with toys and they're fighting over their toys and they're arguing and they're yelling at each other profusely. And I begin to get really frustrated and wondering, like, what in, the, what in the world is going on? Like, why are you yelling at each other? Oh, yeah, you learned that from me. And the shame and this guilt comes over me. But there was this moment when this began to come out within me. And in that moment, I could have said, well, that's just the way I am. Get over it. I can't change who I am. It's not my fault that I feel this way, that I'm this way. Could have said that. But because of the patience and the wisdom and the counsel of my wife and the grace and mercy of God through the working of the Holy Spirit, I decided it's not too late to make a change, that I have to make a change. That's not the truth about who I am. That's just the way I am. That's not the truth. It's a bunch of lies. That's not what God intended for me. And so because of that, that wisdom, that counsel, that grace and mercy of God, I sought out a Christian counselor, an older, wiser individual, a man of God, a man of faith, who could speak into my life who could walk me through that seed of anger, could help me move toward healing and restoration and renewal in my life. See, I needed an encounter with Jesus. Don't be confused. I knew God all my life. I was a pastor at the time. But I needed to re-encounter Jesus over and over and over. I needed an encounter with Jesus in a different kind of way through people who could speak into my life, who could come around me. And I still need daily encounters with Jesus. What is it for you? What's the thing? What's the pattern? Are you seeing it in yourself? Are you seeing it in your kids? It is never too late to change. It's never too late to change, to encounter Jesus and to re-encounter Jesus. Maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you think, you, you, you think right now like, yeah, Jared, you don't, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know the abuse I've experienced. I don't, I don't. But I do know one who was abused on our behalf, who can identify with every bit of pain and brokenness when he dies on the cross and who now can lead us and guide us and counsel us to move toward healing and restoration. So maybe for you, it does look like counseling, seeking somebody out, professional help to move toward healing and restoration. Maybe for some of you, it means coming on Monday nights to celebrate recovery and getting around other people who are willing to admit that they have issues, but they're also willing to move towards change. 
But maybe for some of you, it just simply means you need to encounter Jesus for the first time. See, this man that we read about has an encounter with Jesus and it changes him physically, but see, he has a second encounter with Jesus. We get to read about it. After he's kicked out of the synagogue, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Which is a title that Jesus uses for himself to simply exclaim that I'm the Son of God. Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus answered, and he is speaking to you. (laughs) I love that tenderness, that creativity of God in Jesus, that he would say to a man who was born blind, you have seen him. And now, not just with physical eyes, but with spiritual eyes. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Would you please stand with me? Maybe for some of you, this is the first time you're hearing about the possibility of an encounter with Jesus. And you think about this man who is blind from birth and can now see, can you imagine that? Imagine walking around and seeing all of this stuff like, oh, oh, that's what everybody calls a tree. That's the thing I keep bumping my head into. Wow, it's amazing. It's beautiful. There's the rocks I keep stumbling upon. Wow, those are amazing. Think about how amazing and scary and confusing that world would be, but all the newness that he's experiencing. But then even more so, when he re-encounters Jesus and he sees him with spiritual eyes and begins to worship him, to give him glory because he's now driven by new life. For some of you, you've never had that encounter before. And I would urge you, reach out to Jesus. Be found by him. See him with spiritual eyes. If you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to commit your life to Jesus, I would invite you to pray. And it might sound something like this. God, I've been walking around in darkness. Can't find my way. I've tried a lot of different things to give me meaning and purpose. And nothing seems to fit. And so Jesus, I realize that I'm looking for you. I want to see you. I want to worship you. I want to give my life to you. Encounter me today. And then for some of us who feel we are stuck in our circumstances. Yeah, we know you, God, but you know what? This is just the way I am. Yeah, I just happen to be an angry person. But we realize now today there's some things that need to change. And it is never too late to change. We need you, Jesus. We need the presence of your Holy Spirit to renew us and move us toward healing. Come, Lord Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, Text I'm new to 734-349-3475 
or fill out the form linked in the show notes below and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with someone and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.